Well, good morning, Echo Church. We're so glad that you logged on and joined us. And um, we started a series called Trees three weeks ago, right at the beginning of, um, at the end of our sabbatical and the beginning of the quarantine. And so we're excited to continue in that. This morning, I'm uh, sharing a scripture out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we'll start in verse 4. Uh, Corinthians is, in Corinthians we have what is called a Pauline epistle. And the Apostle Paul is writing the church at Corinth. It's written by Paul. It's written to a church that has been birthed in a very chaotic world. And I think that's fitting for us today. With hedonistic Gentile people involved in all kinds of debauchery, worshiping all sorts of gods, And he comes to minister the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, after he has shared the gospel, uh, converted people to Christianity, he now continues in this letter to the the church in Corinth, and he's directing them and ministering to them by letter. He's writing to them that they may have a deeper and fuller understanding of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 9 says this, For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed? As the Lord gave to each one, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters, they're one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. And so he's speaking about the importance of planting and watering. But I want to go ahead and make note of this. I think this is extremely pertinent this morning, is that without the planting and without the watering, God doesn't bring the increase. And so there is a necessary prerequisite uh, for God to be able to do what He needs to do on His part. He is waiting for us to do what we need to do on our part. And, and so and another thing at the very end, it says this, and this is really important, you know, because I think sometimes when I've heard this sermon preached so many different ways, and sometimes I've heard, you know, that, um, that we're this, that we're the seed, that we're the water, that we're all of these things. But at the very end of this, he lays down a very specific thing. He said, for we are God's fellow workers. You, doesn't say you are the seed, it says you are God's field. And you are God's building. So a lot of us want to talk about our potential. There is potential in the seed. And the seed has great potential, but the seed is not you. You are the field. And many of us are basically desolate fields, empty, because we have not allowed anybody to sow into our lives. We have not even allowed the the seed that was sown to the whole world, which is Jesus Christ, to be sown into our lives And so the unrealized potential in our life has nothing to do with who we are and has everything to do with who He is. 
Amos actually says this, Amos 8, 11 through 12. I've read it much, many times in the church. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but a hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east they shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. Um, famine is a, is a very difficult time when the land goes through, a, or a city or a place goes through a time of famine. The ground is empty of all seed. And he's saying there will come a time where the ground stops receiving seed. And, and this is not a, a, a famine of, of food. It's not a famine of water, but this is a famine of the Word. So we know that the Word of God is the seed that is sown into our lives. And um, I, I would, I would uh, argue with you today that there are some of you that have been planting seeds into your life, but they're not the seed that God desires to be planted into our life. Uh, many of us are sowing um, thorns and thistles and weeds and all kinds of inappropriate things into our life. Many of us are sowing sin and trouble and unforgiveness and anger into our life. And we wonder why we are bearing so much of that type of fruit. And some of us need to begin to sow some good seed into our life. So today, this morning, I want to talk and land somewhere in between planted and increase. And um, I want to talk a little bit about this watering that happens. Um, it's not that the planting part is not important. It's not that the increase is not important. But it is that if you plant something and do not water it, you will never see the increase. And in our church specifically, we have seen in the life of people uh, the seed of Christ be put into their life. Um, my desire is not necessarily to just see people receive the seed, but it is to help people grow up into the full measure of who God wants them to be. And, and what was required is that there's a watering process that takes a seed from being just a seed to being uh, a harvest for the world. Now, notice I said harvest for the world. Notice that the harvest isn't for you. Notice the harvest is for the world. And, um, and I think that's Im important for us to understand. Now, for us to back up, let's get a little bit historical context on the church of Corinth. Now, you need to know that Corinth was a place that did not have a Judaistic understanding of God. They served multiple gods. They did not just serve one God. And so they were divided in their belief system anyway. And so then when Apollos came on, you know, Paul came in and he preached the gospel and people believed. And then after that, then Apollos came in, very much an intellectual, and began to speak to them. And so they began to kind of fall into their old roots of, okay, well, who am I going to worship? Who am I going to follow? And so some were like, I'm, I'm going to follow Apollos. He seems smarter than Paul. His, he seems more eloquent and poetic in how he writes. Actually, a lot of people believe that Apollos wrote, wrote Romans. And if you've read Romans, it is one of the most poetic books and um, very, very intellectual and very, very deep. And so um, some people were having, they were having arguments about who was... Uh, the best and who they were going to follow. And so they indulged in, um, in this church at Corinth. They served multiple gods. 
uh, or no God at all. They indulge in all kinds of sexual exploits for the benefit of their flesh. And when Paul comes to minister to them, he injects the seed of the gospel into the soil of their debauchery, that God may harvest a changed life in the midst of these people. And so now when he writes this letter, he writes it having left there when he heard reports back that there are many divisions among those that are Christians that begin arguing amongst themselves. And as we sometimes do in the church, they begin arguing who is the greatest because there had been another preacher who had come. And let me, let me tell you, there's, some of you have been in arguments. You've been in arguments with your wife or your husband. You've been in arguments um, with someone at work. You, you've, you've seen arguments, but there's nothing quite like a church argument. And uh, particularly when... When everybody thinks they know better, everybody thinks they have a direct connection to God, they're God's first cousin, and, and everybody thinks that they know, you know they've, they have all this knowledge of how God would function, and so those arguments kind of get nasty because people think they know best. And then you got this age-old comment that's, that's made that I tend to hear a lot of right now is, well, God told me, and so since he told me, then everybody else and every other opinion of men around me is just basically a waste. So don't waste your breath because God said to me. And so sometimes those arguments can get nasty and almost impossible to tread through. And, and that's kind of what was happening here. You had, you had people trying to debate about who was the best. And Paul writes them and he says, you guys are carnal in your divisions. Meaning this, let me rephrase it this way. If you, if you are in a division, you're carnal. Or, or we could say this way, there's no, there's no way to be in a divisive situation and not be carnal. And so I, I think it's important for us, particularly right at the very beginning as Paul writes the church, we need to evaluate, are there divisions amongst us as believers? And if there is, that's not godly. And so right there, just at the very beginning, before you even get into the conversation of, of navigating how God uses people and how he blesses people, we need to evaluate our life, the divisions in our life between relationships of other people that we're in connect, connected with. Now, I understand there's further conversation that sometimes we need to call the sin out in our brother and they should repent. And if they repent, then we forgive them and all of that kind of stuff. But our number one goal should be that we do not live with divisions amongst us. Um, he, he, the Apostle Paul is telling them, you, you need to look at this. You're not looking at this the right way. Listen, the Holy Spirit is not in the business of division. The Holy Spirit is in the, is in the business of unity. And that's why all through the Bible he says, I am one with the Father and the Father is one with me and the Holy Spirit is one with me and we are one. And now I'm bringing you into the headship and to the body of Christ that you will be one with us as we are one with each other. So it is important that wherever division is trying to come up, and we talk about it in the life of our leadership here at the church, that we will watch how the enemy works. The enemy always attacks by trying to break up unity first. And, um, and so he will drop little nuggets in people's heads and he will play on people's insecurities and he will play on people's value and their sense of self-worth and he will begin to try to break up and cause divisions in relationships. Really, I think that the longer I am in ministry, 
the, the more I believe the, one of my number one roles as a pastor in this church is to be a hawk and watching divisions rise up and trying to kill them before they get too big. I really truly believe that's one of my greatest roles um, in the life of this church because the enemy will sneak in and cause divisions and it disrupts what God is trying to do. The Holy Spirit, since he's not in the business of division, what's his role then? What is his role? What should we see in the life of the church if not division? Well, his role is multiplication. He takes one seed and he turns it into many seed. He takes one seed and he gets a harvest. It says he turns one seed into a harvest. He multiplies. And I think it's important for us to understand this morning that God is in the business of multiplying things in our life. Now, some of you want him to multiply your money, particularly right now in this season, and I understand that. Um, But he doesn't just multiply it unless you plant it in the right place. Okay? Listen to me. I don't hear amens, but I should hear amens like that from home because I'm going to tell you something. Just because you have money doesn't mean you've sowed it in the proper place. And money doesn't multiply when you buy something with your stimulus check that doesn't multiply. If you want a seed, your money, to multiply, you have to invest it in a manner where it multiplies. You can't take money and put it on a shelf and expect it to duplicate. You have to take money and put it in an investment, and it will duplicate. Um, And so we need to begin to change our mindset that God functions, and when he teaches us, he teaches us from an agricultural standpoint And he is trying to not just tell us about, hey, I'm going to multiply these things to you. There's been a gospel preached that God wants us to be rich. I don't think that's bad. I I, I think that God can help use us if we have a lot of money. But you, you can't just pray a special prayer to God to be wealthy and to be blessed financially, but then be irresponsible in planting and watering and expect to see a harvest. It doesn't work that way. There is a, there is a prerequisite for what your heart desires. Some of us want to be used mightily by God. We, you know, I, I, I hear this a lot lately. I hear this a lot lately. And I'm not coming against it. I'm not thinking about anybody specific. But I hear this so often. People will come to me and say, I feel called into ministry. And then the next thing out of their mouth is, I see visions of myself preaching to crowds of thousands of people. Well, I, that, that's okay. But they're unwilling to tell their neighbor that God loves them. And you have these visions of grandeur, but you can't be faithful in the simple things. You have visions of being used mightily by God, but you can't even complete your education. You have visions of of God using you to profess something over the world, but you can't, you get nervous in a crowd when you come in on on Easter or in the small group when they ask you to pray. And, And it's great you have visions that God wants to use you at this magnitude, but is that your heart's desire or is that God's heart's desire? And I think it's important for us to take inventory of what we are doing in the planting and the watering phase of our life. And we need to stop just praying prayers for a harvest and then at the same time being unfaithful to do the necessary things in our life to to see that harvest manifest. That make sense? Um, So I think it's important for us to back up for just a moment. The Apostle Paul is an intellect. He's very intellectual, very intelligent. He spoke... Uh, many theologians believe five to six languages. He knew his stuff. He, 
He had studied. He was, a th- he was a theologian himself. Very, very much an intellectual. Now that is not to say that God only uses intellect. He used Peter. It actually says of Peter that Peter was an unlearned man. That's a nice way of saying somebody don't have a lot of smarts. He did not have... He would, if you saw him, you might call him dumb. Because he didn't, he might have had street smarts, but he had no intellect. But God can still use someone without intellect. He just might not use them the same way. Now, I think this is important for us to stop. And we're just having a conversation. We see God use people that have, that have ministered into our life. Whether they have watered, whether they have planted a seed into our life. We see them minister and we try to emulate the way God has used them. And I want you to understand, God may not be able to use you the way that he used Paul. And he may not be able to use you the way he uses me. And he won't be able to use me the way he uses you. But if you set the course of your life based on how God uses me, you will constantly be frustrated because you have inadequate tools to do what God's called me to do. He did not call you to do it. So you are constantly trying to do something. To It's kind of like the other day I was trying to... Um, I was trying to take something apart on my lawnmower, but I had to have a, a, a crescent wrench to be able to do it. And I didn't have a crescent wrench, so then I got some pliers, and the pliers weren't strong enough, and I kept stripping it. I was stripping the bolt as I tried to take that, that, that bolt off. I couldn't do it. And, and I think it's important for us to understand. And so I got in the car, and I drove, and I got a crescent wrench, and I came back home, and I put the crescent wrench on, and I took it apart, and now I, then I got to mow my lawn. Because if you have the improper tools, you will not only be frustrated, but you will ruin what God has called you to. You will destroy it. You'll make it impossible to be able to take apart and do what he's called you to do. So I think it's important for us to stay in our lane. I think it's important for us to know our lane. And I think it's important for us to be honest about it. Paul was an intellect. That's why he wrote letters. You know, it's, it, there's a reason why the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. It's because he was an intellectual. He could write letters. He could do it easily. He could do it in a way that it would, that it would communicate something that would, would take someone else being in person, walking with them and talking with them. He was able to, to pick something very plainly through letters. But just because Paul's intellect is intellectual um, doesn't mean you have to be an intellectual for God to use you. Now, it doesn't mean that you should not be learned. It does not mean that you should not study the Word. But it does not mean you have to be an intellectual at the level that he was or anyone else that you see around you. Now, you need to understand the Apostle Paul was also criticized by his circle. Um, because he was an intellectual, he ran in intellectual circles. And, and let, me tell you, let me tell you what, he was not, they kind of gave him a hard time when he... Uh, believed in Christ and began to preach a gospel of faith in Christ because nothing will come against your intellect like faith in Christ. And so the very circle that he ran with, he was rejected from. And the circle that he was trying to come into, he was rejected from because it was very faith-based. And so Paul really never really felt after he made this decision for Christ was kind of alone. And he was preaching a gospel to people that did not fully understand him. And he was rejected by a people that used to accept him, 
But because he preached faith, his intellectual circle began to reject him and they thought he was kind of silly. So Paul is already blistered by the fact that he's a believer. He's blistered more, more, more sorely than he was by the stones that they threw at him in Lystra. Not only had he been rejected by his intellectual circle, but now he's being rejected by his faith circle. This is very important because this helps you get a groundwork of how, how and why Paul responds the way he does. So he's rejected by his intellectual circle. He comes to preach the gospel, to, and then he starts this faith circle in Corinth. And now half the faith circle begins to go, we don't want have anything to do with Paul. We want to begin to follow Apollos. And so he's been rejected now by his faith circle. So out of this internal frustration, Paul begins to speak to the church of Corinth. That's important. You need to understand this. It doesn't mean that what he said is wrong, but you need to understand how this impacts someone's heart. And as intellectual as Paul was, Apollos was still greater. He was a greater intellectual. Some believe that Apollos, as I said earlier, wrote the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews literally reads like poetry. It's deep. It's intense. It's profound. It's prolific. Apollos is awesome. So Apollos comes to Corinth and is so eloquent and so articulate that Paul goes on this rant in Corinthians. Listen to this. Chapter after chapter after chapter, he's talking about, I came not with swelling words of enticement, but with the simplicity of the gospel. Listen to his heart now. That is Paul saying, I could have been more articulate, but I chose not to, that I might count all that I have learned as dung to obtain the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now in this, I hear a little bit of ego. We all have it in us, but I think it's good and important for us to understand this hurt his heart because he was following what God had commanded him to do. It is not that he could not pontificate and talk like Apollos. It is not that he could not bring people to a new level of of relationship and discipleship. It is that God didn't call him to do that in the town of Corinth. He called him to speak plainly the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why it's important for churches to not be judgmental of other churches that are proclaiming the gospel in, in the seed phase when other people are proclaiming a gospel in the watering phase. Are you with me? And not everybody's on the same course. You can, you can get online and you can be judgmental about the, the gospel that this pastor preaches or this pastor preaches, but they're staying in their lane and God has called them to a specific thing. There are seasons where we should disciple, but just because you don't hear discipleship in the sermons you listen to online doesn't mean they're not discipling in the house. He is, some people are called to plant and some people are called to water. In case you're wondering which church we're in and what season we're in right now, that I have done both. I have planted and then we turn, and then we, God said, You best water, young man. And so we began watering. Now, not all of my watering happens from the stage. We have developed a discipleship program. And so a lot of our watering is happening in our small groups. So if you're not in a small group, you're not being watered. And you will, the potential in your life will never, and the seed that's been put in you will never be realized, and you'll never have the harvest. You'll never be a benefit to anybody because you can't get involved in the way we're trying to disciple people here. 
Now, I know you want to come here on Sunday morning and you want to get all of your, you want to get the seed and you want to get water and you want to get everything for an hour a week, but it doesn't work that way. That isn't how we have it structured. Now, you'll get some discipleship here, and truly the preaching here is a lot more watering than it is laying of the seed. I'll just be honest with you. I, I got, but that's the season God has me in. I've done both. I've planted and I've watered. And in this text, you need to understand the Apostle Paul has done both. As he writes the church in Corinth, the, the place where he has planted the seed, he is also watering the seed. He's showing, though, the dichotomy between uh, the, the need of the soil and the response of the one who is sent. And so Paul is wrestling and he's saying, I could have spoke eloquently, I could have watered you, but what would I have been watering? Listen to this, what good would it have been if Paul would have come to ground that had no seed and watered it? He can make mud pies with it, but he would have no crop. And so it's important for us to evaluate the ground. What's the ground, Sean? I'm glad you asked. In Corinth, Paul said the ground is you. And so part of a role of a minister, and that's not just me, that's not just, uh, the, the, that's the minister of this house, that's Pastor JR, that's Pastor Brooke, that's Pastor Ebony, Pastor Tim, that's Pastor Bruce. That, that part of our role is to evaluate the soil. I'm sorry you're offended when I see that your soil doesn't have seed or when I see that the seed hasn't been watered. I'm sorry you're offended. That's part of my role. It's not me being judgy. It's me being biblical. And if I don't evaluate the seed, if I don't look and say, hey, you've had the seed in your life for 30 years, but you don't have, I don't even see a little sprig popping up out of the ground. If I don't evaluate that, then I don't properly water you. And so, so I know that sometimes the church gets into a place, and we're just having a, this is, listen, this ain't going to be popular out there for the whole world, but this is our church having a family talk. Some of you don't like to come sit, you don't like it when I call and I challenge you on stuff. But, or you don't like it when Pastor JR will challenge you on stuff if you're on the worship team or you're involved with youth and you don't like that, but that's part of the process. And just because you don't want to evaluate your soil doesn't mean we shouldn't. And God is calling us. I want to say this too it's not just pastors, it says that we do this one with another. Can I say this? It's it's, I see people gathering in circles in our church. I, I see that people with no seed in their soil, I, I see them gather together within, if they come to church, they're together within two, two weeks. I see people with seed but, that, but have not been watered yet, they gather together. I see people who have been watered for a season and have a little sprig, they gather together because we love to gather together with people who don't make us uncomfortable. What I don't often see in the life of the church, and I'm, I'm seeing more of this here, which I think is good because we have this desire for more. We've been preaching this. There's got to be more to this life than just going to the most. There's got to be more to this life than just coming to church. There's got to be more to this life than just, there's got to be more. And so there's this desire stirring, but most time you don't see a person that's soil without a seed hanging out with somebody that's a mighty oak tree. You don't see that because it makes people uncomfortable. And, and, and not just from the, the soil that's empty to the oak tree, but from the oak tree gets annoyed with the soil. So we don't hang out with each other because we don't feel edified. 
See, the point of community is not so that you will be edified. It's so that the body will be edified. The reason that the body works is because it doesn't cons- each part doesn't consider itself more valuable than the rest. Right? Like, e- everything has value. Even my big toe has value. Try to, not, try to walk without one. You don't notice it until you don't have it. And then when you don't have it, you don't walk the same. Every part has value. Now, in this, we hear a little bit of ego from Paul, but he's wrestling with, why I'm, now here I'm rejected by church folk. <laughs> if I wanted to razzle-dazzle, I wrote this down. If I wanted to razzle-dazzle you with my intellect, I could have done so. I like the word razzle-dazzle. I think that's really funny. I wrote that down. But I purposely avoided the opportunity to exploit my intellectualism and I reduced the gospel down to the simplistic terms because God told me so. Listen, even though God told you so and even though you know God told you so doesn't mean it makes it easy for you to do what he's called you to do. We wrestle with it. We wrestle with it. There have been many times since we planted this church that God's told me clearly what to do and I did it. And, and let me tell you, there have been sometimes all hell broke loose. And I want you to understand something that if you set the course of your life based on the response of men, you will never go where God wants you to go. I thought about this when I wrote in this morning. Um, um, God, God, doesn't, God doesn't really want to give you what you want. Because oftentimes what you want is, is, is not what you need. God, I'm going to say it again. God doesn't, I'm not even going to say really. God doesn't want to give you what you want. Because oftentimes what you want is not what you need. Now somebody just thought of the scripture, well, he gives you the desires of your heart. No, he gives you the desires that you would desire what he desires. And, and let me tell you, once he gives you his desires, his desires is stuff like this, that you would pick up your cross, follow him, Die daily to yourself so that he can reign in you. See, the potential in the seed is never realized until you're buried. So you got to die. Everybody's like, see, the problem with, 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 with bad theology is that we make ourselves the seed. So we don't really have to die because all the potential is encapsulated inside of us. But see, you're, you're not the seed. See, Christ is the seed sown into you. And so the potential is realized when you die. All right? So we have to die. We have to be buried. I, I want you to know this. This is important. Paul says, you are carnal to allow this to happen. One man plants, speaking of himself, one man waters, speaking of Apollos. But God gives the increase. He brings the planter and the water to the same level. Because what God does, is He brings the increase. God's will is for you to have increase. That's it. God doesn't teach you things so that you can be in lack. You don't don't go to college so that you can know less. He wants you to have increase. 
Nobody teaches you so you can live without. It's not just the digestion of information that's important. But if you don't know what to do with the information, what good is the information anyway? Let me give you an example. All right, this is my favorite part of the sermon. There are some people that have done so much research on losing weight that they know all about calories. They have 15 apps on their computer or or their phone or their tablet about counting calories. They've done research on what it is to be a vegan. They've done research on what it is to be a vegetarian. They've done research on what it is to not eat meat. They've done research on, on, on carbs. They, they, they've done, a, they've done a tr- the, the, the pyramid study on the percentage that you should have of proper carbs and proper meat and proper poultry and proper vegetables. They've done portion control. Some people are so knowledgeable about how this affects the blood, how the blood interacts. They've even done, people have done studies on their own personal body. Some people have sent urine into doctors and blood into doctors so that doctors can give them a specific plan of how to eat for their specific body so that if they would follow through on that and do what they're supposed to do, they will lose weight. Some people have so much intellect and knowledge about this that they could actually write a book about it, but yet they haven't lost a pound. And here's the problem with it, is because just like the church, we have all the intellect in the world. We have all the theology in the world. We have all the know-how in the world. We could sit, we could teach Sunday school classes, we could preach sermons, we could do that. But for some reason or another, it hasn't impacted our life because we we have not seen increase. Because increase, a necessary requisite for increase is planting and watering. And we don't want to do the diligent work Ourself necessary to see the increase is amazing. It's amazing, and let me tell you, I, I, you know, many, you know, many, you, you know, how many years I have had a gym membership and paid money and not gone for years because at least if I'm paying and have a gym membership, it makes me feel like I am trying. Although I'm really not. Some of, you, some of you treat church like your gym membership. You come, you pay your fee, and it makes you feel better. But you don't really do anything about it. You don't live this life. You, you, don't, you don't do a little bench. You don't do a little cardio. You don't want to stress yourself By opening this up and getting on the treadmill and actually walking a life worthy of the calling. You just want to pay your fee and do nothing about it. And it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you're trying. But people, you're not trying because you send some money to the church. You're only trying if you walk it out. That's good stuff. Now, I could just stop right there. That was really good. It's challenging, but it's good. Let me tell you, one of the greatest um, conflicting things in the life of a believer is our intellect. Because the, the more we know, the more edified we feel, and the less we do. We would rather sit on the board and chair committees 
and tell other people how to live their life than actually do it ourselves. Let me tell you, that, that's why people that, that are, that the, the more intellectual you are, the more, the more cautious I am about letting you serve on a board at our church. And it's not that I want it to be unlearned people, but I have come to find out that, that very often the more intellectual you are, the less you walk it out. Now, that's, I'm going to get an email about that. But I've just found that that to be true overall. I'm not saying this is universal. I'm not saying it's 100% of people. I am totally blessed when I see somebody that's an intellectual that actually lives this thing. That's why whenever I went to Bible college, I'm gonna, let me just talk real with you for a second. That's why whenever I went to Bible college, every single one of my professors would preach how I should pastor a church, but all of them had failed out on doing it themselves, 100%. None of I had I had somebody teaching me an evangelist class, but they 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 they, they said they couldn't pastor and they couldn't evangelist, but all that but they knew how, so they came and they taught. And you ever you ever heard that phrase? That, and I'm sorry, Ebony, because I know you have your masters in teaching. But um, but have you ever heard that phrase? Those that those that can't do it teach. And I, and I understand there's a place for intellectuals. I understand that, but I think that it is important for us to understand that. J- that sometimes, so with that phrase, what we learn and what I have seen is that oftentimes the more intellectual we become, the less we can live out what we have learned or less we're willing to live out what we have learned. Now, I, I don't see this in Miss Ebony, so she, I think she's a unique breed, but when she came in and she had her master's in teaching, I was concerned about her. And I watched her walk it out. Now, and that, so I think that the more you know, the harder it is to walk it out. It's, it's, it's hard. So Paul is saying, hooray for those who plant and those who water, but it is God who gives the increase. God wants to give the increase of your life. Now, I want to talk about this. Now, you need to know this is an agri- agricultural theme is used through the entire Bible. That's why we're talking about trees and just for a snippet for, for you for the head, uh, to get ahead for the whole year, to kind of bait you for the whole year. This is where I'm working up to. That God, there's a seed, there's time, and there's a harvest. There's a seed time, and there's a harvest time. There's day and night and heat and, and cold, and there's uh, seed time, and there's harvest. That in the beginning in Genesis, that God put a seed in everything, and that seed reproduced according to his kind. And he put a seed in everything so that every time we needed something, God didn't have to come down from heaven and make it happen for us. There's seed put in what he created. There's seed in, in his creation. And so it repeats. That's why Jesus also said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, my father is the husband. Every branch that in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. You reconcile that in your own heart. There is an evaluation that God does. He actually said to a fig tree, be ye removed, because it had no fruit. Some of you, let me tell you, you've been in seed phase too long, and you best do some inventory whether or not you ever got the seed in the first place, because a seed don't just say a seed. A seed gets watered and begins to bear fruit. And if you don't bear fruit, then he questions whether or not you're really his. He evaluates it. He curses those things that, that, that profess to be something that they do not bear something. It is, it is really serious. And, and you can talk to me all day about Old Testament versus New Testament. Man, have you read the New Testament beyond the, 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 the four Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have you read it? Have you read how challenging it is, what it calls us to? It is an upward call in Christ Jesus. Jesus, Jesus says, I'm the vine. 
and you are the branches. Now, agra, cult. This is where the two words from agriculture comes from the, these, these root words, agra and cult. Yeah, you, I, you heard me right. I said cult. Like we, we've heard about these, you know, like, like the movements that everybody drinks fruit juice and the UFO comes to take them off, but they're actually dying. You know what I mean? Like poison. Like, like that's cults that I'm talking about. Agra, cult. Agra speaks to vegetation or life. Cult speaks to any religious group that's not orthodox. We call them a cult because they're not orthodox. They're not ordinary or normal. So if you take a cult and put agra in front of it, what would it mean? It would mean that the living thing is not normal to the ground it's in. It doesn't grow naturally. It had to be planted. Hence, you have the term agriculture. Meaning this, it was made to grow. It's not orthodox, it's not ordinary, it's not normal. That seed is not normal to that ground. It wouldn't have happened by itself. It had to be planted there by someone. I want to talk about this. Planting looks different than burial. See, in order to do either, you do have to dig. And both are concealed. But one has potential and the other does not. See, you bury the dead and you get rid of the body. See, you plant the seed and it's coming back up again. See, the dead body ain't coming back up again. The seed will come back up again, but it only comes up, listen to me, through transformation. And it comes back up better than it went in. See, some of you want to get a harvest, but you don't want to be transformed. It only comes up through transformation and it comes back up better than it went in. That's why the Apostle Paul said, It was good that I was afflicted. Because if I had not been afflicted, I would have never known the glory of God. Whenever you go through a dark place in your life that you can't see your way out, remember that God has planted something in you. And the only way for what He's planted in you to get out is up. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I, I, I press on for the mark of the prize of the, what? Upward calling. And so I, I think it's important for us to understand we are the ground. He put his seed in us, put the word in us, the word, literally the word of God. The word in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word was sown to the world that there might be many sons of God. So we have received that word, and I want you to understand we received this word. And as we plant this word, listen, that seed dies. But it does not stay dead. It comes back up better than it went in. And what you produce in your life is dependent on what goes in your life. Some of you don't like what you're producing in your life. It's because you're putting the wrong thing in there. Some of you haven't planted anything in anybody's life, but you've planted a lot of trash in your own. Because your soil, your life is soil. <laughs> Listen, when you believe in Jesus, you receive, it says that he makes, in, in that belief, he takes this hard ground and he makes it good ground. Good ground. 
The Holy Spirit is often referred to as water, but it's also referred to as good ground. The word, every time we read the word, the word, the seed goes down in there and it hits the Holy Spirit, which has made us good ground. Holy Spirit has made us good ground. What we want to do is we want to throw any old seed in there. You know what the point of good ground, you know what, you know what good ground does? It doesn't evaluate the seed that comes in and be like, no, not that one. No, not that one. No, not that one. Yeah, that one. The only point and the only thing that good ground accomplishes is it puts, pushes life out of what you put in. What we want to do is put any old trash in there we can, and then we hope to produce this amazing crop. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just, just, just push life out of good stuff. It will push life out of bad stuff. That's why, young people, you need to be careful what you're listening to. Parents, you need to be careful what you're letting come across your TV screen. Because what goes in, what you sow in, you'll reap out. Agriculture. Forcing it to happen. And so then Apollos comes and he waters, but I want you to understand water only works if there's something in the ground. You can't water concrete and get roses. Water only works if there's something in the ground. You can preach the same message on, on a Sunday. Today, let's just say today, we can preach the same message. I know we're not in there. I know I'm not hyped today. We're conversational. But I want you to know I can preach the same message and one person will be blessed and another person won't get it. That's the way it works. One person's bored and the other person's getting blessed because water only works if there's something in the ground. And there are people that come to church and they leave empty and they leave untouched and they leave unblessed. And I'm here to tell you, it's because there's nothing in the ground to water. There are people that read the Bible and they get nothing. And they come and get me to try to teach them about reading the Bible. I want to, you, you, you may not like it. It's okay. Send me emails. I'm just telling you that this is very controversial. This is what I believe. That if, if you read the Bible and you get nothing when you read the Bible, I don't believe it's a stick with it, stick with it, stick with it, and eventually it'll pop out. No, there's nothing in the ground because you cannot water something when it ain't there. And some of us need to take inventory and quit trying to go to classes and, and get learning about something. That, it don't matter how much learning you get. If you're watering mud, it's going to be mud. We're waiting for a response, but there's nothing in here. There's nothing in here. For the lack of water. And I want you to understand this. It's a little funny because it refers to the word as seed and it refers to it as water. Here comes Paul and he preaches the seed, which is the word. And they get the word. And then he comes with the same seed and Apollos preaches the word and he waters them. See, some of you are trying to get your seed and your water from a different source. And I want you to know it's the same source. Some of you need to get in the word. You need to sit under preaching. You need to be in church. You need to be in a small group. And you also need to be reading this. Some of you are waiting on somebody else to water. You pick up the Bible and water yourself. But you better make sure that you have believed in Christ and you're not just going through routines and being religious. Because there's a bunch of religious people that know the Bible better than you but are not impacted by it. Other than their intellect. 
I'm going to say this, and, and as we near the end, and I think it's important for us to just be honest about it. A lot of people don't read the Bible because they don't want to be watered. Because as soon as they begin to read the Bible, they, the water hits the seed and causes turmoil in their life. Everything begins to be disrupted when water hits the seed. Everything. Everything begins to change. Don't get too excited for the water because water brings trauma to the seed. The seed has no pain until it's watered. The outer encasement doesn't burst until it's watered. Whenever God gets ready to water the seed in your life, there will always be a disruption in the soil and in the seed. Always. You've got to be broken so that life on the inside can escape the bondage of the outside. Growth is, listen to me, traumatic. Growth shifts everything. You want to know how I, we have it, how I evaluate if we have an undiscipled person, an unmature believer, if they've not experienced any trauma in their life. Because someone that is watered will have a little bit of shifting and trauma happening. It's the way it goes. It's, it is a necessary requisite for a discipled life. Everybody wants to be called up, but no one wants to be disturbed. Everyone, wants to grow, everyone can shout me down and say, I want to grow up into the full measure, into the full weight of his headship. I can bear his weight. I want to be mature enough. I want to be called like, like the three disciples up to the top of the mountain. <laughs> Notice that all of them weren't called up to the top of the mountain. Notice that all, only three of them were. Notice that God has an A team and he has a B team. So, so all of you guys who say that God doesn't, doesn't... Listen, he has an A team that he's going to release into certain dimensions of glory that he won't release other people to the same dimension. He won't do it. But here's the thing that's so crazy because he brings some up up there, they're just as dumb as the people down there because they're trying to build three churches up there on the mountain for these prophets. They're idiots too. And God actually tells one of them to shut up because he's just making such an idiot of himself, which is the unlearned one, P.S. And, 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 so, and so he's making an idiot of himself. He's like, just shut up. I just can't, I can't even tell you. I, I know I called you, but I can't even handle your stupidity anymore. Just be quiet. And then they go down. Now listen to this. They go down the mountain. Now God will always... He will always, he takes them up for an intimate time. He shows them what his conversation with God is as he's empowered through prayer. Then he goes down the mountain and they meet a mountain in the valley. Which is a young boy who was, they said, that the father comes and said, I have a young boy that's demon possessed. He's outside his mind. You know why he was outside of his mind? You know why they said he was outside of his mind? Because he would actually run into fire and run into water and almost drown himself. Now, now, here's why that's, he, he called him a lunatic. Now, here's why, here, let me, I know a lot of people in the church that are lunatics. Now, I don't know if you're demon possessed or not, but I've seen a lot of lunatics in the church. You know why? Because most of the time, when you put your hand on something hot, you learn real quick not to go touching all that again. Yet in church, with believers, 
We have people that do drugs over and over again and it will destroy their life. They watch inappropriate movies over and over again to destroy their life. They look at stuff on the computer late at night. It'll destroy their life. They keep touching this stuff. It's hot. It's because I think you've got a devil. Because only someone with a devil will keep going back to something that's destroying their life. It's because you've got an inappropriate seed in your life. It's because you've sown something in your life. And now you are reaping a harvest of something you've sown. You best start sowing something different and you best start getting in a circle that sows something different. Well, I just feel so lonely ever since I became a believer in Christ. Good, good. No, listen to me today. That's good news. You, I hope every single one of your friends abandon you because every one of them are throwing some inappropriate seed in your life and you're bearing fruit of a harvest of seeds they've sown. And you need to be cut off from all your friends and you need to find a new circle of friends that will begin to sow the right stuff in your life and water that thing. Listen, you've, been, you, you've had people sow... Listen, this, this philosophy and principle applies to not just believers but to anyone. And once it's been watered, you will never be normal again. I'm going to say this and I'm going to close. Whenever a seed is sown, it's sown underground and its potential concealed. Only when it's watered does it become potential revealed. I've known a lot of pastors that have a seed sown that have gone into ministry, but they don't water it. Yet they preach, they teach. But we as leaders of the gospel can only produce what we are. You want a praying church? Be a praying pastor. Can I, you want a giving church? Be a giving pastor. You want a worshiping church? Be a worshiping pastor. I have people call me all the time and say, Sean, you know, how do you get your church to do this? And how do you get to do your church to do this? Become it. Because you reproduce what you are. It is amazing how many pastors I know that, that hate their church. And I just kind of want to tell them, look in the mirror because you've produced what you are. And if you don't like what you're seeing in the church, you probably won't like what you're seeing in you. You cannot take people where you're not willing to go. You cannot lead people where you're not willing to go. Some of us have gotten comfortable with the potential that has been concealed. But God wants that potential to be revealed. And the only way for that potential to be revealed is up. That's why it's an upward call. And what he's saying is, I'm calling life out of what I've sown in. And I'm calling it upward. I'll say this and I'll close. This because this is a good example. You know why there are some women who like married men? 
It's because they don't want potential concealed. They want potential revealed. You know why there's some men that want married women? It's because they don't want potential revealed. They want potential they, want, they don't want potential concealed. They want potential revealed. They want the finished product without the process. And some of us in a church are just like that. We want Jesus without the process. We want, our, we, want, we, want, we, want, we want our cake and we want to eat it too. We want everything, but we don't want to go through the process of having a relationship with him. Listen, you cannot just know him. Let me, I, I'm, I'm going to say this, and maybe this is theologically wrong, but I don't care. I believe it. I believe it. This is right. I think I can back it up with Scripture. If you disagree, I'm willing to have an open and honest conversation about it. So please do message me, and we can talk about this today. But I want to say this, that... Um, what was I going to say? Um... I don't believe that you can just, you, that you're the only, I don't believe that you can just take Jesus and, and accept him as the resurrected one alone. I think that because his life, it says in the Bible, was a sign of what we should become, that every part of his life spoke to our life and what it would be like. You can't just take the resurrected Jesus, sat down on the right hand of the Father, and reject the fact that he died on the cross because he calls us to pick up our own cross. You have to look at his whole life and understand that every part of his life will impact your life. But see, in the church, we want, we want potential revealed. And we want to... We want to... We want to... We want to uh, we want to pass over potential concealed, which is where all the trauma happens. And you can't get this without a watering face. You can't have all the glory without going through the process. Process is a prerequisite. Well, we love you very much. We're thankful for who you are in our lives. And we give you all the glory. But I pray this morning that we don't just give you the glory with our, life, with our mouth, but we give you the glory with our life. Lord, I pray that the potential that you deposited in each of our lives for those who are believers in Christ this morning, I pray that that potential doesn't stay concealed our whole life. I pray that it would be revealed through the greatest harvest this world has ever known. Lord, I pray that when you would use this small little church in Pleasant Hill, that we would come up a little bit higher and that we would, we would produce a harvest that would impact the nations for your glory. You took 12 and you impacted the world. What can you do with 300 God, I pray that we would grow into maturity. I pray, Lord, that we would, those of us that have the seed of salvation down in our hearts, Lord, I pray that we would water that with your word.
Lord, I pray that we would mature. Lord, I pray that the potential in us would be revealed in the days to come. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.